At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is the Nightcap with Tim Murray and Super Bowl champion Sean King on VSEN, the sports betting network. We're off and running on a Monday night. We've got four teams left in the NCAA tournament. And I tell you what, never thought I'd lead the show with this, but Paige Beckers, she is a boss. UConn, nice win tonight in overtime. Double overtime. But if you took the dog, it wasn't where they went to die, as NC State does get the cover. But uh, UConn moving on to the Final Four in women's Basketball. That's Sean King, a happy man, I'm sure, after the weekend that was, as his Dukies continue to thrive and the anger continues to subside inside me. People are saying, let it go, let it go. No, I will not let it go, because where was this team in Brooklyn, Sean? Where were they? Hey. <laughs> they look awesome. Two wins away. They are two wins away. They look tremendous, and uh, we will get into everything that unfolded uh, this weekend. A rather... Uh, <clears throat> say uneventful depending on how you uh how you bet it but uh there was maybe some more excitement on thursday and friday uh as opposed to the weekend but ultimately yes. we've got four teams we've got villanova we've got kansas we've got duke and we've got north carolina boy oh boy unc and duke meeting in the final four first time ever these two team programs have met in the NCAA tournament. And what's interesting is they're both playing at such a high level. Mm-hmm. I mean, both are coming to the into this game looking as good as they've looked all year. And uh, I'm excited. I wasn't sure what this total was going to be placed <laughs> at, but I have a hard time seeing this game not end up in the 80s. And I think it opened at it was 149, 149 if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, I think that's just initially – no, it's up to 151 I have on here, but yeah, it's, I just, it's moving. The way these teams are playing offensively right now, I can just see this being a high-scoring game with a lot of lead changes, a lot of back-and-forth momentum, something that comes down to the last minute of the game. And um, I'm excited to see it. And the other game is just how much does the loss oh, it's decimate Villanova? It's, it's devastating. We'll get into those games a little bit more in-depth um, you know, in the next segment. But, yeah, you've got Villanova – who because they're already not deep no I mean they're 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 a six-man rotation right. with Justin Moore our second leading scorer and in the final minute of the game pops his Achilles and he's obviously out uh so Villanova against Kansas in that first semifinal that'll be the first one up on Saturday night followed by Duke and UNC just going back to the weekend and you know we see the favorites take care of business as we get into uh the weekend except for Houston uh Villanova Look, I said my favorite play uh, was the under, and that was wonderful. Never uh, in doubt. It was good to get back in the win column after the St. Peter's fiasco on, on Friday night where you were 100% accurate and I was uh, just couldn't have been more wrong. But, you know, that game played exactly how I, I thought it would. And, 
you know, Houston just just couldn't make a shot. But I, I think for Villanova, what have we talked about at nauseum about this Villanova team? You know what they don't do? Miss free throws. And that's what it came down to. They went they went perfect from the free throw line. It wasn't pretty. I love the competitiveness. I love those two coaches. And uh, ultimately, you know, uh, Villanova is able to hold on and win that game. And what was disappointing for me, and I don't think it got talked about enough because Houston was all-time bad, was how bad Villanova was on offense as well. Like This was a game that was competitive from a score standpoint because it was the worst presentation of offensive basketball that I think we've seen. And it was not just a Houston Cougar issue. It was a Villanova Wildcat issue. But as you mentioned, what they – 15 to 15. 100% from the free throw line. And, I mean, they found a way to, to, to get it done. But it, it really made me concerned about Villanova's ability to now move on and beat a team like Kansas. Or if they can find a way how to stop a high-powered team like Duke and UNC. Because what we've seen – is Texas Tech really good on defense? Arkansas really good yeah. on defense, but Duke is so good offensively. They still are going to get the game into the seventies, and that's just somewhere that I don't think Villanova's comfortable. And uh, it wasn't for Arkansas or Texas Tech as well. But first things first. Again, we'll get into the, this game in depth a little later. If you drew it up, couldn't draw it up any better. And I, I thought about this the other night. If I didn't know anything about college basketball and I started with the Final Four, I could get North Carolina, Duke, and Kansas <laughs> and work backwards. If I would have just done my draft inside out mm-hmm. and said, you know what, okay, this is Krzyzewski's last run. They've never played North Carolina in a, a NCAA tournament. This has got to happen, right? I mean, this has got to happen. It, it's, uh, it's, it's incredible uh, that these two teams are going to meet, especially – you know, I don't even think it was a necessarily a, a bad take by me when I said, you know, UNC prior to the Duke game really didn't deserve the benefit of the doubt to make the NCAA tournament. But when they beat Duke at Cameron, to me, when you show me how good you are at your peak, I'm like, okay, now you're good. Now, because you, you looked at them. I mean, not only did they lose some games early in the year, North Carolina, they got smoked like they lost by they had a stretch Sean where they lost by 20 plus to Wake Forest and Miami in back-to-back games they played here in Vegas around Christmas time against Kentucky they lost 98 to 69 I mean this team was getting hammered and you looked at the resume their best win was Michigan but to their credit they went into Cameron Indoor they were already playing a little bit better and they played exceptional and now you're starting to see it. You're starting to see it all come together. The game they played against Baylor, specifically the first 30 minutes, you know, the the game where they're, you know, Caleb Love goes bonkers at the end of the game. We're watching that here in studio. And then I I know it's St. Peter's, but look, St. Peter's beat Kentucky, they beat Purdue. And I heard Armando Baycott uh, do a radio interview after the game. He said, look, we knew we needed to punch them in the mouth mm-hmm. and not give them the chance. And that's exactly what they did. Baycott had like 15 rebounds in 10 minutes. Yeah, he I, was felt, an I felt good beast. about that one because I think I was pretty clear on Friday that yeah. this would be an easy game for North Carolina. Tough matchup for St. Peter's. Just the ball handling and the confidence that Davis and Love are playing with in that backcourt. And Baycott is more active and productive around the rim than both Edie and Williams from Purdue. So he would give that St. Peter's front a lot more issues 
Well, at the end of the day, Hubert Davis, I've been giving him credit for probably about three weeks now. I think he deserves a lot of credit mm-hmm. for shortening the rotation, for building confidence in the guys he is going to play, and for continuing to have this team believe in each other. Because what we've seen with these high-profile teams is when the cookie starts to crumble, especially lately, it really shatters. And guys, okay, I'm leaving, I'm transferring, I'm going pro. And he kind of kept the group together. And, man, they're playing really good basketball. In a perfect world, (laughs) I would have loved for Carolina and Duke to be on opposite sides and potentially meet in the national title game because, in my opinion, these are the two best teams uh, that are in this NCAA tournament. Well, let's get to Duke because, you know, we've talked so much about them and – and we've had varying opinions uh, about this team, and I think rightfully so because they've kind of been a roller coaster ride. But what they were able to do to close out the game against Michigan State, backs against the wall, Coach K's last game on the line, come back, win that game. Texas Tech was just an absolute war. And mm-hmm. I was on Texas Tech, you were on Duke. It was back and forth. Texas Tech, or excuse me, Duke ultimately shows what they're capable of offensively and pulls away. And I thought you made a really interesting point, Sean about Texas Tech and Arkansas. Texas Tech, number one team in defensive efficiency in the country. And Arkansas, if you look back to, they had a three-game losing streak to start the uh, SEC season. So that was like in early January. Since that stretch, so about mm, almost two months, Arkansas was the second best defensive team in the country. It didn't matter. I mean, this team right now, this Duke team is playing at such an elite level offensively, and it's going to take a lot for them to be taken down because they're just playing that you're seeing all of the stars align. And, you know, you could speak to them more than I, but what was my criticism of Duke during the year? I said, if this guy doesn't play, Jeremy better, Roach. we can't make a real run. And it's Jeremy Roach. He's playing. And awesome. he's playing with confidence. He's getting to the rim. He's playing better defense. He's facilitating the ball still gives you the little unnecessary turnover, you know, every now and then, but I knew he would be key to this because of the talent and depth we have on the wings. When you add in the fact that Mark Williams, in my opinion, might be the most improved player in college basketball from last year to this year, and and now you start to have a team that when they're clicking, you can't really defend them because no one in college basketball has five guys, the level it would take to really lock the Duke guys down. And they just keep coming. They keep coming. They don't really, you know, lose confidence, which is the one interesting thing for a group so young. They never seem to get down now during the game. It's just like get to the next play. Somebody makes a bad basketball play. You know, somebody misses a shot. It's boom. Let's get back down and and get to the next end of the court and and make something happen. And, you know, again, the problem is they're facing another team that looks the same way. Like, I cannot wait Mm -hmm. for this game because North Carolina is a tough matchup for Duke, and Duke's a tough matchup for North Carolina. I I mean, anybody that thinks that they're just going to lock down you know, Love and Davis, I, I think you're mistaken. And then with Baycott looking like he should be a lottery pick, and then you got the headband sitting out there. If you leave him open, I mean, he's knocking down, you know, <laughs> you know, threes like, you know, he's a young Reggie Miller. So they got a complete team, but so does Duke. You know, it'll, it's going to be a fascinating game. I think it's going to be a game of stretches and runs, and uh, we're going to see who can make the last one. I tell you what, Mark Williams, the emergence of him, we knew, I mean, he was the defensive player of the year in the ACC, so we knew how strong he was offensively, but I thought the Texas Tech game, he was the difference maker early on. When Texas Tech was really putting pressure on all of the guards and the wings, what did they do? They were able to lob it up to Mark Williams. He's able to finish at the rim, and he continues to be such a difference maker. I only know he only had 12 points 
uh, against His impact Arkansas. is immense. It's incredible. Most improved kid in college basketball I mean, he is, from last year to this year. You come in that lane, he's going to block your shot. He's going to alter your shot. But then he's finishing on the defense, on the offensive side. So, to me, Mark Williams has truly been the X factor to the Blue Devils. We've got spreads. We've got totals. We've got thoughts. The final four is here. Jim Root will join us at the bottom of the hour. That's Captain Duke, Sean King. I'm Tim Murray. It's the Nightcap. You're on DC. This is the Nightcap on VSIN, the sports betting network. Are you ready for a fresh start? And we mean a real fresh start with lasting change. Take the Zen 10 challenge and switch up the way you've been enjoying nicotine. Available in a variety of tastes and strengths. Zen Nicotine Pouches deliver smoke-free and spit-free nicotine satisfaction. Try Zen Nicotine Pouches for 10 days or your money back. Your fresh start is here. Take the Zen 10 Challenge today at ZYN.com slash 10. Once again, ZYN.com slash 10. Zen Nicotine Pouches are only for adults 21 and over who currently use tobacco or nicotine. Warning, this product does contain nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Alongside Sean King, I am Tim Murray. Our good friend Jim Root will join the program coming up at the bottom of the hour. We'll get his thoughts on the Final Four with point spreads and totals, any plays that he's made. I have made one play already. We will get to that in just a moment. But, uh, you know, Saturday was was wonderful uh, because your Dukies won. I was on the under on Villanova-Houston. That came home and the first half. So after the debacle of the St. Peter's uh, fading them on Friday. Uh, it was nice to get back in the win column with a with one of my write-ups on vcin.com. But I also had the Villanova future, which was my first future that I made in college basketball, still alive heading into the, to the Final Four. And, Sean, I'm thinking, all right, this is a perfect scenario, 25-1, and one, and then I can get Kansas out. I had a Kansas to win the region bet at plus 215, got them 14-1 to one back in November. I'm like, this is perfect. So yesterday, uh, we had some family in town. So we had to make a little trip to the Hoover Dam. So I'm keeping tabs on that game because <laughs> I I took the Saturday to. You're unbelievable. Hey man, happy wife, happy life. Hey man, my wife could kick rocks. I'm not going to the Hoover Dam as opposed to watching the, the Elite Eight. Well, I was able to watch the second yeah, half. Playing and, better. And boy, was I uh, <laughs> satisfied. I gotta with that second. Bring half. you up to speed, man. What's going on in the Murray household? That's all right. I was able to figure things out. We were able Jesus. to work it out. 47 to 15, Kansas absolutely obliterated Miami in the second half, Sean. And that's the Kansas. I mean, for the most part, honestly, this first this run through the tournament's kind of been eh for Kansas. You know, they played Texas Southern, whoop-de-doo. You and I both had the first half there. They don't cover against Creighton, kind of let a a shorthanded Creighton team hang around. <clears throat> Providence ends up covering. And then they're down at the half to Miami. And I'm thinking, this is going to end here. Miami's going to win this game. And the second half, they didn't hit from three in the first half. And then they just got out and, and got going. I still felt like this was what Miami wasn't able to do as opposed to what Kansas was doing. I felt like Miami's role players were yelling YOLO way too much. 55 had a sequence where he shot. he's a 23% three-point shooter, 
and I think his name Percolette or something, something like that from Miami. And he shot two threes in a row from up top, missed both of them, and then faked the three and drove to the goal, fell down, and turned the ball over to Kansas. And it started like a 6-0 run, and it was all because, okay, bro, you're on the team to rebound. And I think that really hurt Miami because their best players, I didn't think really were the ones that were deciding the outcome. It was the role guys that were, I don't know if they were forcing themselves into situations or if that's how, you know, Larry Nigger coaches, but, you know, I just was more disappointed in Miami than I was impressed with Kansas. Well, I felt like the second half, Ochai Abaji, who really has been. He was just okay. Well, he's been pretty pedestrian this tournament, but I felt like yesterday he ended up with four steals, four assists, 18 points. That second half, he got going there a little bit for Kansas. So let's springboard that into this game coming up on The problem is Saturday when, you night. Said, when you've seen guys like Bonchero from Duke take over and Love from North Carolina, it's kind of like uh, he's just in the corner. Like, you know, okay, if the ball gets over there, okay, he'll grab it, he'll do something. But I didn't really feel, felt like he took, took over a game. We'll see because Villanova's going to be a different – you know, obstacle for this Kansas team. You well, know, who I think in a lot of ways Kansas has got a pretty favorable draw is to get in here. You know, they're probably the least tested, in my opinion, oh, you yeah. know, of the four teams. I think that's very fair. I, I think you look at, you know, a nine, a, a, you know, a 16 and nine, the lowest rated four, and then Miami, who's a 10 seed. So I, I think that's completely fair. But let's get to Villanova and Kansas. We've got a spread of four and a half. It's been bet up. I'll tell you one thing. The world's going to be on Kansas. Nobody's betting Villanova in this spot. And a total of 133. Um, What were your initial thoughts of this game? And I'll give you actually a bet that I've already made on this game. Play the under. Yes. Yeah, I just, Villanova's only chance is to make it an ugly game. And the one thing that they'll do that, you know, and, and it's really one of my big takeaways when I was, and I probably didn't elaborate Clearly enough on this was if you take away Kansas transition offense, they're as average of a basketball team as you can find. If they have to run half-court sets and score from their half-court sets, they're not a dynamic, explosive team that's going to overwhelm you with talent. So I know Jay Wright's going to be preaching it. You know, get back on in transition D. Don't allow Kansas the easy open court layups, you know, because guys just are being lazy defensively. And if you take that away from Kansas, I mean – they're no juggernaut on offense, you know, at least not in my opinion. So, you know, I, I look, I'm looking at under, 132 and a half. I, I'm I, take the first half under, and I'm going to take the game under. Well, that's what I did on Saturday against Houston, uh, and that's what I'm going to do again. Uh, and I've already played it. Uh, I will continue to play it. It's 133 here at Circa. And I just look back at last year. Last year, Villanova's in a very similar situation. Last mm-hmm. year, they lost Colin Gillespie who was the Big East player of the year, still on the roster, won Big East player of the year again. They lost him to a torn MCL in the Big East tournament. They go into the NCAA tournament, they play a 13 seed in the first round, and then, oh, they play a 12 and then a 13. Then they have to play Big Bad Baylor. Mm-hmm. They held that game to 57 possessions. <laughs> it was the lowest possessions in a game all year for Baylor. A Baylor team who, by the way, finished number two in the country in offensive efficiency last year. They held Baylor to 62 points. Now, Villanova only scored 51, and Baylor obviously won and went on to win the national championship. But, Sean, that game had a total of 142.5 last year. It finished at 113. I think you're seeing that. 
Look, you look at some of the advanced you know, sites out there. Ken Palm, Bart Torvik, they all expect this game, based off of the year data, to be around 139, 137. But there's a reason that the odds makers have made a 133. Look at how this NCAA tournament has been played by Villanova even prior to the Justin Moore injury. They have played an average of 60 possessions per game, and that, if you put it over to full body of work for a season, would be the third slowest pace in the entire country, Sean. So I think Villanova, who is incredibly well coached by Jay Wright, they have a week to prepare. They're going to try to puncture the basketball and just relax and let this game play their way. And oh, by the way, they have a six-man rotation, and now it's a five-man rotation. They literally don't play anybody else. So Daniels, who's been a main cog off the bench, he has to start, and they really don't have anyone else. So, you know, both of these teams, both Kansas and Villanova, have been playing very well defensively. Both are top 20 in uh, defensive efficiency. And I think this is a slow-it-down type of game. And oh, by the way, it's in a football stadium. Sight lines are all jacked up. So, yeah, I think first half is the look, 62, 62 and a half. And I absolutely think under 133 for the game is, is the way to ride. Uh, absolutely. And, and it's interesting because I don't think either one of these teams can beat North Carolina or Duke. Like, I truly think the national championship game is being played that evening. I just don't think Kansas can out can, – I don't think their overall talent is the same as either Duke or North Carolina. And the way they're playing right now, Kansas hasn't really put a full game together yet. But maybe that's in them. But they have not. They've just kind of been like ah, average one half, slightly above average the next. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm interested to see the game. I think, uh, like I said earlier, Villanova has to get back in transition defense. And if you can take the easy points away from Kansas that they get by just running, then I, I don't think Kansas is, is anything special. Yeah, and that line at four and a half, once again, everybody's going to be on Kansas. So I'll, I'll wait. Uh, I, think, I think Villanova's a live dog. I do, too. Even though they have a shorter rotation. I think if they play it the way that they, they want. they don't get in foul trouble, fatigue won't be an issue. And I think if they play the game the way they want it to be played, it will play in their hands. So we will see. If this game is played in the 50s, you're right. I mean, and that's going to be. If it's played like I think it will be played, look, the last game was 50-44. Now, granted, you know, Villanova ended up scoring, you know, uh, getting the cover there. Uh, they were an underdog. But think about, think about this, too, Sean. You know, Kansas is a much better free throw shoot, shooting team than they showed on Sunday. They went 13 to 26 from the yeah. free throw line. So that's another reason, another thing that I like the under, because if Villanova's playing from behind, those free throws aren't as big of a factor. That's what made me a little bit worried about Houston Villanova was like, okay, is Villanova going to be in the lead? Are they going to get fouled? Ultimately, it, it didn't really matter. By the way, Puck Stradamus has a late night hockey play. Ooh. We like the LA Kings on the puck line. All right. What time does that start? Uh, 7.30, about five minutes. All right, get it in. Kings on the puck line. We haven't broken down Duke in North Carolina. I'm sure we'll have plenty of thoughts on that, as will our next guest. Jim Root will join us next to break down the Final Four and his overall takeaways from the weekend that was. It's the Nightcap here on VC. This is the Nightcap on VSN, the sports betting network. Wendy's Breakfast is the official breakfast of March Madness. Every day, choose from the Wendy's stack starting lineup like the Breakfast Baconator, Croissant Combos, and Hot or Cold Coffee. And like any great team, Wendy's is bringing the breakfast legends, oven-baked, sizzling bacon, 
fresh cracked eggs, perfectly seasoned breakfast potatoes, and a Simply OJ to bring it home. Make a fast break to your nearest Wendy's drive-thru and pick up your Wendy's breakfast, the official breakfast of March Madness. Choose wisely, choose Wendy's. Well, we always choose wisely when we come when it comes to uh, breaking down college basketball, and uh, we always love having our good friend, Jim Root, join us from the three-man weave. And it's good we caught him now, Sean, because his bags are packed. He's ready to go. Yeah, man. He's going down to Nolens. Get some down to the beignets, big a little crawfish, a little jambalaya, a little etouffee. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not eating for the back. next. I'm not eating for the next 48 hours to save room for all that. That's that's the plan. And he gets to put on some Duke colors and, and root for God's team. I like it. <laughs> um, well, we always like to uh, to uh, give credit where credit's due, and uh, I've been giving way too much credit to Sean, even though he doesn't tweet when I get picks right. It's okay. Um, but uh, M- uh, Miami money line, Providence plus seven and a half, winners from last Monday. So. Uh, the, the money train from Jim on the nightcap continues to to roll on through, so we appreciate it. You know, before we jump into the games, we haven't really broken down Duke-UNC just yet, so we'll get into that one first. Just your overall takeaways uh, from the four teams that advanced over the weekend. Let's start with let's start with the Blue Devils because they feel like, you know, Jim, they're playing at their best that they've played all year. Offensively, they've played two really good defensive teams, and they have had limited issues with both Texas Tech and Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, they've, I said kind of all season, I think their best is better than everyone else's best. We just didn't always see it consistently during the year, which I kind of get for a young team. You know, it's hard to put it together every single night through the doldrums of the the schedule. But man, do they look sharp. And one little thing I will give some some credit to is, I don't know if it's Kay specifically or, or the the whole coaching staff, but They've tweaked things really well within games uh, that every time they throw in the zone, it seems like it's really well timed to disrupt the opponent's offense. And then last game against Arkansas, after the Razorbacks got close, I tweeted it and I was like, why are we not feeding Bancaro every single time on the, in the mid post, the block and three possessions after that all in a row, they ran a little rip cut with him uh, from the top of the key down into the block and he scored and then had two assists after so they've they've made the right calls and they're maximizing the talent right now. Duke looks every bit the juggernaut that that they you know had the potential to be. Yeah, and I think you, know, you mentioned the two three zone, and we were hit, sitting here on on Thursday night. I had Texas Tech. Sean had uh, had Duke, obviously, and I, it felt like okay, you know, things may be falling apart a little bit here for the Blue Devils. I think there was a couple dribble drives by Texas Tech, and then they go to that two three. And to your point. They have perfectly timed, it feels like, these last two games, Jim, when to go to the 2-3, and it has both thrown off. It threw off Texas Tech for a massive loop, and I felt like changed the tenor of that entire game. And Arkansas, like you said, was coming back. They called timeout, and then they go to that 2-3. So, uh, yeah, I I think the staff, Coach K, they deserve a ton of credit for going to that 2-3 zone at the right time. Not not going too early. It's that right time. And in my opinion, it changed... The, the the complexion of both the Sweet 16 more so, but it, it kind of put a nail in the coffin of Arkansas on Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, the Texas Tech, like if you go points per possession, I think they actually scored fairly effectively against the zone, uh, but it just it just threw the rhythm, and I think it maybe even disrupted the Texas Tech defense a little bit. 
Uh, and hey, maybe it also helped the Duke offense where they they rested a little bit in the zone instead of chasing guys all over the place man to man because basically as soon as they went zone defensively, they didn't miss a shot offensively the rest of the game. So it in some way it helped them. It just like you said, it changed the tenor. It, it just kind of changes the flow, and I think they've used it really wisely. All right, let's get to North Carolina, the team they will be facing. They faced them obviously twice before. Uh, Duke blew them out, even though if you look at uh, shot quality, which is a, a site that has been referenced uh, many a times during the NCAA tournament. Uh, it was a little closer than the score indicated. And then UNC went to Cameron and played arguably their best game of the year. They were tremendous uh, in that game. So uh, before we dive into the matchup uh, for UNC and Duke, let, let's take a step back. UNC down three against UCLA, backs against the wall. And Armando Baycott, we were sitting here on, on air, Jim. I'm like, that save out of bounds might have saved their season because what happens next, Caleb Love bangs a three, they get a stop, another three, and it's over, and they win that game. So, you know, the level that their starting five is playing at right now is is really damn impressive, and this is something we honestly didn't see pretty much all season until, you know, senior night at Cameron. Yeah, they had kind of tightened the rotation at some point, like Curlin Walton fell out of the rotation. They were down to basically these five, like th- that's who's playing with a little bit of Puff Johnson, a little bit of Dontre Styles. And I don't know if it took these guys a little bit to figure out some rhythm, but man, they seem to feed off each other incredibly well offensively. And you've got the, the monster inside, Mondo Baycott, and then you've got three elite shooters with Love, Davis, and Manic spreading the floor. And that's kind of allowed Leaky Black to be out there and not really hurt them. You know, he does a little bit of cutting. He gets on the offensive glass, but he is not a scorer. And that hasn't really, uh, you know, come into play so much yet. I'm sure Coach K is going to go really hard with the don't guard Leaky strategy. And and some other teams already have. But when the other four guys on the floor is as lethal as they've shown, it's hard to still get a stop against this team, even when they have a non-scorer out there. And the other end, they've they've figured things out defensively because that was kind of their their bugaboo all season was they couldn't get any stops. They've always had a, a star defender in black, but the other guys have started to figure things out. They're, they're better rotations. They're getting back in transition way more. That that was a huge issue for them. So, yeah, they, they, it's all come together at the right time. Sure, they played a 15 seed in the Elite Eight, one that seemed to be running out of gas. But, man, North Carolina took advantage of the matchup, and, and they deserve to be here now, that's for sure. Yeah. UNC and Duke, they're the nightcap. They're the headliner. Uh, the ratings, I'm sure, will be absolutely uh, monstrous uh, for this game. So let, let's get into it. 151 is the total, Jim. Uh, a spread of four. Uh, let's start with let's start with the side. Is there a side that that you like or see any uh, investment opportunities in? Or are you staying away? I haven't bet it yet, but I th- there's a fairly decent chance I'll end up on Duke. My one hesitation is I already have a lot tied up in them in the futures market. Mm -hmm. I added a bunch before the Arkansas game, but looking at just the matchup, I still, like I said, I think Duke's best is better than what Carolina can throw out there. I know UNC has looked awesome this tournament. You can make an argument. They've been the most impressive team in the field, Uh, but I still think Duke just presents some issues. Paolo Bancaro is going to be able to get his in bully ball uh, he, he should be attacking Brady Manic in the post. I really hope we see that early and often because you get Manic off the floor. Look what happened against Baylor. Yep. They collapsed 25 lead or 25 point lead gone. Uh, he's just so important for spreading the court, uh, not allowing teams to go double Baycott off of their, the other big. So I, I think they attack Manic early 
And while he might hold up okay there, uh, I'm, I'm worried about the whistle being an issue. Uh, I did check the numbers. I was surprised to see Carolina outshot them at the free throw line, 22 to eight at Cameron indoor. Hmm. I mean, some of that was late. Uh, some of the free throws down the stretch, but only eight free throws for Duke at Cameron indoor sort of dispels some of the, uh, the coach K whistle stuff. Uh, we'll see. Duke's going to need to get to the line more than that in this one to be successful, I think. Well, I know all weekend, if you just blindly bet the unders, man, you were you were swimming in some cash. Uh, I believe unders went uh, went 1-11 to the under uh, over the weekend. So, you know, the Arkansas-Duke game, if you got it at 147.5, that was a bit of a magical uh, and very fortunate under there. So the total open 149.5, Jim. It went up to 151. Uh, obviously, these two teams played back on March 5th, and it was 94 to 81. I mean, it's in my opinion, it's going to be the complete opposite of of what we might see in Villanova and Kansas. So at 151, I know you're, you know, the the undertaker here. Is this getting too high? Would you look at an under possible play here on UNC Duke? Man, I I don't think so. Uh, just the styles of these two, I think, is pretty conducive for a track meet. Uh, maybe the zone slows the game up for some stretches, but just looking at the the regular season matchups, totals were 152 and a half, 153 and a half. So I think being a little lower makes sense because it's a postseason game. The stakes, they're playing in a football stadium. But man, I, both those games went over uh, pretty easily in the second one at Cameron. So I'm still leaning towards the over. That's very rare for me. I, I love to hunt the unders, as you mentioned, but. Um, yeah, this one, I haven't bet the total either, but just gut matchup, kind of thinking about how this will play out. I, I would I would estimate the over here. All right, we got about 30 more seconds. On the other side, we'll, we'll break down Villanova and Kansas as we chat with Jim Root at Second Chance Points. UNC's path to victory in, in 30 seconds. Uh, Manic hits a couple shots early, spreads out the Duke defense, then Baycott can attack inside, get Williams in foul trouble, take out their big rim protector, and then that really opens the floor for Davis and Love driving into into the gaps, which Duke isn't necessarily that great on the ball. So I, I think it's going to start with the early offense for UNC. UNC and Duke is the nightcap, such a wonderful name, of the Final Four. More from Jim Root as we break down Villanova, Kansas on the other side. This is the nightcap on VSIN, the sports betting network. And then there were four. And, of course, we're talking about the NIT Final Four, which will be tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. St. Bonaventure and Xavier in Washington State, Texas A&M. That's why we have Jim Root on. He has a full breakdown of, of both of those games. And I know he was locked in on the uh, the basketball classic, which is going on right now. Right, Jim? Fresno State? Did you, did you roll lay the seven with the, with the Bulldogs from the Valley? I can't say I'm very invested in that matchup. I got to say. Got to admit it. I did. I'll be honest. If it seems square, I did play Bonnie's on the money line. It's so. good to see uh, Texas A&M carry the momentum. Yeah. From the conference tournament. From their tonight. from their anger yeah. there. But that's enough on the NIT. Let's get to the final four. Uh, we just uh, spent the, the previous segment breaking down UNC Duke, which will tip around 849, yeah, roughly, uh, Eastern. Jim will be in attendance. He'll be down there. Uh, with his three-man weave brothers. Uh, so make sure to follow all their content all throughout the week and then when they get uh, down there uh, in person. And I know uh, your other two colleagues were in attendance of Kansas and Miami. And that first half, it felt like, oh, boy, here we go. You know, 
Kansas is going to squander this. And then it just was a different team in the second half. They were suffocating defensively. They're running in transition. They're hitting some big shots. And I saw you tweet something to the effect in the first half, like, where's Ochai Abaji? And he <laughs> kind of showed up there in the second half. So that final 20 minutes against Miami where they were dominant, did that turn your tides a little bit? Because I'll be honest, I think you kind of share a similar sentiment. You know, the first three and a half games of this tournament there for Kansas was kind of like sleepwalking. It didn't. Nothing was uh, over uh, exciting from the Jayhawks. Right, they were just kind of getting by, and like even the the first half against Providence, where their defense was great, it was a little more about the Friars being ice freaking cold from downtown. Uh, but that second half, whew, eye opener. Even after the game, the, the interview with Bill Self, I thought was pretty funny because he seemed like, whoa, that, that was a gear I I knew we had, but I didn't think we'd see it to that extent. And for that long of a duration, uh, they just never let Miami get into it. And I think a big part of it was they attacked inside and got Miami in foul trouble. Jordan Miller barely played in the first half, so he was kind of out of rhythm. And then they got Wardenberg in big time foul trouble. He fouled out with like eight minutes left. It was an 11 point game. And at that point, uh, Matt, Kai, and myself were like, well, this is going to end 20, and it ended up 26. Like, without him out there, they just didn't have a hope to sp- uh, stretch the floor. And, and so I think we see them try to do something similar against Villanova, who is, as we'll discuss, relatively undermanned, short rotation, just cannot afford any foul trouble. So Kansas is going to attack them and try to get into their bench because if you get into this Villanova bench, it gets really dicey. So we'll, we'll see if we get that same kind of effort from Kansas. I'm sure, I'm sure that will be the goal. But executing, it's a, a different story. Yeah, they don't have anybody. I mean, Caleb Daniels is is their bench, and he's now going to be inserted into the starting lineup. Archie Diacono, uh, I mean, they wish they had Ryan. Unfortunately, they have his younger brother. Uh, so uh, he he plays a little bit. But, you know, the total is 133. Uh, the spread is 4.5. I've done my big spiel uh, already this show. Uh, Sean agreed on the under and why, you know, uh, I, I played it. I don't want to lead the witness here, so... Total of 133, a spread of four and a half. What jumps out at you uh, with the first semifinal on Saturday night? It's it's the under, and I'm sure I'm going to say a lot of the things that you did, but I, I think Villanova is going to be desperate to keep this to as slow a pace as possible, uh, just grind this into like a 56, 57 possession game. Kansas is going to want to run. They're going to try. They're going to push. Uh, I thought we saw in the second half Houston with a very clear directive against Villanova Every defensive rebound, go. Just go. Beat them down the floor. Their half-court defense is too stout for us. And Villanova's transition defense was incredible that game. Uh, Houston just couldn't find gaps. They couldn't find open shots in in the open floor. And I think a big part of that is the switchability that Villanova goes with defensively. And that's that's obviously a weapon in, in the half-court because you're not going to get ball screens and off-ball screens. None of that stuff's really going to work. Uh, but in transition, they don't care who they're guarding. You're not going to see Brandon Slater sprinting 90 feet across the floor to find Ochai Agbaji. He's just going to guard whoever's next to him, and that makes transition defense easier. So I think Villanova's got a great route to slowing down the game, and they've got a massive incentive to slow down the game. So, you know, efficiency could bite me. It could go over because a lot of shot making, but I I feel pretty comfortable that the tempo is going to be slow enough to where there's uh, some edge on the under for sure. Yeah, I said that, I'm, in my opinion, the most important aspect of that game is Villanova's transition defense. You know, my one big takeaway is if you can take away Kansas's easy buckets that they get in transition because they're always trying to, to push the basketball, they're very average if you make them 
run a half-court set. And uh, if Villanova can make that happen, then, then I think Villanova has every chance to win this game outright, even you know with, with more not being available. Yeah, and, and a big part of that is taking care of the ball. Like we saw in the second half against Miami, the Hurricanes started to be sloppy in that second half, and then suddenly Agbaji had a dunk. McCormick had that monster dunk to kind of light the fire early in the second half. And Villanova's not going to feed them that. We saw Houston need it, and they weren't getting the turnovers. The live ball turnovers get going the other way. Villanova's just too smart. And, you know, it's a problem that they don't have one of their key guards. And Moore is one of the big-time shot makers late in the shot clock. They like to drain that all the way down. But I just don't think they're going to feed the Kansas transition attack the way that other teams have. You know, Providence was a little sloppy. Like I said, Miami got really sloppy that second half, especially as they got desperate. And I think Villanova's just going to be level-headed. They're experienced. They're incredibly well-coached. So I don't think they're going to feed that Kansas transition attack, which is going to allow them to stay in it despite not having a lot of offensive firepower. And Jay Wright, Hall of Fame coach, is now, I mean, look, you lose your second leading scorer uh, in Justin Moore. It's, it's devastating, but he's going to have six days to try to figure this thing out and put together a plan to try to keep this competitive because I compared it, and I'm curious to get your thoughts. So last year, they lost Colin Gillespie, who was the Big East player of the year. They lost him to a torn MCL in the Big East tournament. Now, they played, what, a 12 and then a 13 in the first two rounds, so they're going to be better than them. And then they played Baylor. And that game was very slow at a crawl, and they lost. They lost by 11, um, but they kept it their style of play. So, you know, I guess how much would you compare the loss to Gillespie last year to losing Justin Moore this year? It's it's pretty similar. I mean, like they're not the same player, right. but the impact on the rotation, like it matters a ton. I don't think Jay Wright's going to come out and say it to you or me or even to his team uh, that, look, Kansas has probably more talent than we do. And he probably thought that last year against Baylor, but he's smart enough to realize it. And that means he, he doesn't want this to be a track meet. He doesn't want the talent gap to be able to spread out and, and show over a wider sample of possessions. So I think last year's game against Baylor is a great indicator. And they were up at halftime in that game. And I don't think a lot of people, myself included, gave them much of a shot there. So I, I think maybe they'll get the same kind of discounted expectations here. Perhaps they wear down in the second half the same way they did against Baylor. But I don't think 2022 Kansas is 2021 Baylor. They, they don't have that turbo gear that the Bears last year had. I mean, it's one of the best backcourts college has ever seen. Uh, so I, I think they have the shot to hang around. I'm kind of hoping this ticks up to five. Yeah, uh, I, I'd feel pretty decent getting a plus five with Villanova here. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask you, Jim, because, look, this is going to be the, the game where we know where the world's going to be. I mean, everyone saw Justin Moore go down, and no one's going to believe in Villanova in this spot. Kansas is the one seed. You're just going to see a, a flush of cash come in on Kansas. So, yeah, is there a buy point, in your opinion, on Villanova? Yeah, it's it'd be five, I, I'd for sure buy and I may end up talking myself into some four and a half, uh, especially because I have a, a more strong futures position on Kansas. So um, going in with a little bit of a hedge there with, with Villanova would, would maybe make some sense. Uh, I, I just think they're they're going to be really tough to put away. Like we've talked about a lot of the points of why uh, it's it's just not a team that gets blown out. The one team that gave them serious issues this year was the Baylor game way back in December. And Kansas does not have that kind of defense to, to just bury them the way that uh, Baylor did that day. So I think they'll hit enough shots. They'll go to the guard post-up stuff against Remy Martin and against Dewan Harris. Neither of those guys really are going to be stout 
in the post against whether it's Slater or Gillespie or even Caleb Daniels. So I think they've got some routes to points there uh, and they'll hit enough shots. I, I just trust the veteran team that's well coached to keep it close against admittedly a more talented foe. All right, Jim, we got a minute to go and uh, you're going to be headed to New Orleans. So this will be it. This will be the last time we're going to get to chat with you on our show here. So we always appreciate your, your insight. Uh, your prediction here in the final 45 seconds, who's in the championship Monday night? Who's cutting down the nets? I think it's, I think it's going to be Duke over Kansas. I know I've been talking about Villanova here, but I, I think Kansas will get it done. Uh, and then Duke just out-talents them in, in a little more of a track meet uh, on Monday night. Uh, the last thing I'll say, first half under Villanova, Kansas, we will be on it. We will definitely be on it. Yes, I will, we will ride with that <laughs> together. 133, 62 and a half. Uh, that's the way uh, I'm rolling as well. Jim, we appreciate it all throughout the hoop season. Enjoy the trip down to New Orleans, and uh, we'll, we'll have you on right after the championship to, uh, to get your thoughts. Perfect. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. There he is. Make sure to follow Jim Root and all of the Weavers as they head to New Orleans, the three-man weave at 3MW underscore CBB. That's Sean King. I'm Tim Murray. It's the Nightcap. Check out the... Check out the... Check out the...